All right. I'm excited about this sermon series. Now, I know, and Pastor Jeremy, when he taught last week, I loved what he taught about. But what we're going to do real quick is pick up and finish the series that we were doing on the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know you remember that, the Lord's Prayer, remember? <laughs> I think about prayer a lot, and I'm sure you do too. I've always wondered, like, God, is there a better way I can pray? And I think sometimes it's tempting because we, we kind of think, God, I've been praying for this thing to happen, and it hasn't happened yet. Am I praying right? Is there something I'm doing wrong? I'm curious if any of you have ever felt like maybe you've been praying, and it feels like there's even a verse in Scripture that talks about the heavens were like brass, and it just the prayers bounce right back down. Or maybe you've been praying, and you feel like, God, I don't know what else to say. I've said everything I know to say. Or maybe you've been so desperate that you're like, God, I'll do anything. What do you want me to do? And we have Christian things we do that, that we, we try to, we feel like maybe God's going to answer because I'm doing prayer this way. No doubt the disciples wondered that. They lived with him. They saw Jesus do amazing things. Think about what they saw. They saw him walk on water. They saw him heal people, all sorts of diseases. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him feed the 5,000. They saw him calm the seas. Most importantly, though, they saw him pray. They saw him pray morning, daytime, evening, all night long. They saw him pray over meals. They saw him pray during the the Last Supper. They saw him pray. So it makes sense that at one point they thought, who better to learn about prayer than from Jesus himself? So they asked him. They saw Jesus praying. They asked him to teach them how to pray. And Jesus did. He told them, pray like this. Now, I told you before, there's a version in Luke, but this one we're looking at is in Matthew. We haven't done this the whole series. You want to say it together? I know a lot of you know this prayer. Let's just do this together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's do it together, though. I know there's some people repeating. I feel like I'm in a cave. Okay, let's try this together. You ready? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, there's a, little, there's a little part to that that we've, we kind of grew up saying, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, which is beautiful. That is actually a reminiscent of, of actually an ancient Jewish prayer that's, I think, in Deuteronomy. So what was that prayer about? Why did Jesus tell him to pray that way? I think what he was doing is giving a model for prayer. I don't know that he intended us to pray those words every day. You can. I just don't know that he meant that. Remember, if you remember, when we first talked about that first part, I love how, how Jesus framed it, and he starts with God himself. And he starts with the whole body of believers. And he says, our Father. Now, it's translated Father in most of our versions, but as you remember, it wasn't actually our word Father. It was more like Dad. Something I thought of this week is you could even use Papa. I mean, it was a very tender name for a father. It was Abba. Our Father. What I love about that is we share that relationship that Jesus had with his Father. He invited us, included us into that very special relationship. 
What I love about that is there isn't a distance there. Yes, he's in heaven, but he's also eminent. He's right here with us. I think in a lot of faiths and a lot of religions, God is far away. Our God is not. He is present. He's right here. You think about how Jesus even came, and I know we just came through the Christmas season, and he didn't come like some ruling king. He didn't come some, like a, some noble. He didn't come as some superhero. He came as a little baby, just like one of us. He came because in a way that all of us could relate to. He came as somebody who each one of us can have a relationship with. And then the next part of it, he talks about kingdom, the kingdom of God coming to this earth. Because right now, the whole earth isn't under his rule and control. Right now, it's not quite like that. So he tells us, pray for his will to be done in this whole earth. And I know we talked about it a few weeks ago, but that is the best possible prayer. I had people say, Pastor, I don't know what to pray what, over a situation. And I tell them, pray God's will be done. And I feel like sometimes they look at me and like, it's mm, kind of a cop out. No, it's not actually. It's the best possible thing. And oftentimes, we don't know what his will is. But if you pray for his will to be done, you are praying for the highest possible good. And I know for most of us, we kind of think we know what that is, right? And we've tried to tell him, God, if you just do it my way, this is going to happen. I can't tell you how many times I've been praying for someone who is sick and said, God, you know, if you heal this person, and I feel like he says, stop right there. Of course I know. And I feel like saying, but... But you know how many people would come to, to know you as Savior if you did this miracle? He's like, of course I know. And then he reminds me, do you realize that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead a week before the triumphal entry? And then they crucified my son. I've got reasons. And God is deeper and broader. And I feel like sometimes it's easy for us to get frustrated with his will. But let me just encourage you, pray his will. If you really trust him, that's the best prayer. Then that next part gets so personal because it says, give us this day our daily bread, our needs. He wants to meet your needs. Ask him for what you need. Has this happened to you before where somebody's, you've been sharing prayer requests and somebody shares something super serious and then you feel like, hmm, not sharing what I was gonna say because <laughs> it seems kind of inconsequential next to their big prayer. He cares. He cares about each one of those. Sorry, I know the next thought was, and the hairs of your head are numbered. I, I know, like, okay, I get the joke, but he knows. He knows. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows. We talked about forgiveness two weeks ago. <laughs> Do you know forgiveness is one of the most often addressed issues in the Bible? You ever wondered why that is? Why would that be? Because we struggle with it, don't we? How many of us just hold on to things and we don't even realize it? And then something comes up and you, you feel anger that you didn't know where it came from or, or maybe someone's name is said and you think, why is that? Because we struggle to forgive. Christ, he demonstrated such, such a heart to forgive that we struggle to emulate. If you struggle with it, I'm gonna give you a tip. Pray that God would help you to forgive, because he will. He will. He will help you. As we jump into this, this last thing, it seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Why would, why would Jesus tell us to pray for problems with temptation? Why would he do that? 
You know, I was talking with some minister friends of mine this last weekend, and that one of them was saying, so what are you guys all preaching on? And I, I was being facetious, but I said, oh, we're, you know, we're doing Matthew 6, 13. It's about temptation, but I've never been tempted, so it's all theoretical. Why? It's so universal. Here's what's also interesting about temptation. Our temptations, if we were to somehow measure this entire room and what you are personally tempted with, I'll bet you they'd be so different. And then the gauges, the levels would be so different. And we're so quick to judge other people's temptations. Have you noticed that? I mean, I know what my struggles are, and it's so funny how humans are, we, we are. Like if I've, if I've worked through something or at least feel like I have, then, then there's times where I feel kind of proud about it, and I enter into another sin. Do you see how this works? It's like as humans, we're constantly stumbling from one thing to the other because none of us have arrived and none of us have achieved it. Paul talked about this and he said he was the greatest of sinners. And I read that verse and I think, Paul, you don't know me. But Paul would say the same thing. And I bet each of us could say the same thing. But then again, I look around this room and I know so many of you who are literally saints. So good. And I know if I talked to you about it, you would say, Pastor, if you only knew. Right? The fact is, we all struggle with temptation. We're all drawn to sin. It's a universal issue. We inherited that from our, from our mother and father, Adam and Eve. And the fact is, we all struggle with it. You know what else I've noticed about temptation? We kind of flirt with it. Have you noticed that? There's times where we, we know we're drawn to something and we may not step over the line, but we don't mind getting close to it. What is that? Why do we do that? As a youth pastor all those years, I'd have kids ask, Pastor, how far is too far? And I'm thinking, that's too far. That question is too far. Because I think the problem is we don't hate sin like God hates sin. We should. We should get to the point where we're so sanctified and holy and close to Jesus that we hate it as much as he hates it. But the problem is we're always in flux. We're always developing. We're always getting closer to him. And the truth is you may overcome one thing, but then there's more to overcome. The fact is that we have all these layers that we have to work through. It's like we entertain it. We allow it. We make excuses for it. But this temptation, it's always lurking right there. For some, it's going to be just a taste. For some, it's going to be just a glimpse. For some, it's going to be just a little bit of the story for the gossip. For some of us, you're going to rehearse one more time how that person hurt you. And then you're going, to be, you're going to feel justified in your anger and your bitterness and your grudge. For some of us, it's going to be one more look at that Facebook story. And the jealousy is going to rise up. And the envy is going to rise up. And you know, you know deep in your heart you're looking at someone's highlight reel. And you know your life is a blooper reel. But you look again, and you feel that dissatisfaction with what God has given you, and it's sin. I know it's different for everybody. Why does Jesus say, lead us not? Do you need to be led into temptation? Do you need to be led? That phrase can be interpreted a lot of ways. The fact is, none of us need help with temptation. The fact is, what, what, what Jesus is telling them is say, God, please, don't let me go down this road again. I don't know about you, but 
If you really have the heart of Jesus in your heart and you know how deeply your sin grieves him, then you would pray to him and say, God, please help me avoid temptation at all costs. I need your help. Where does temptation come from anyway? Where does it come from? I think it's tempting, sorry, no pun there, to blame it on evil and the evil one. Jesus does tell us, avoid that. I mean, but it doesn't come from God. We know that. The enemy has a lot of power with that. We know our sinful nature, our own thoughts, the world around us, people. The temptation comes in so many ways. Let's talk about the evil one. What is his purpose for you? Have you heard this before? You hear all the time that God has a plan for your life, and that's true. But you've got to know that the enemy of your soul, he also has a plan. And his plan is to utterly destroy you. His plan is to destroy everything good about you and everything that you value and everything that you love. It's hard to imagine having an enemy like that. I mean, we see it pictured in the world sometimes. and Maybe wars, or you maybe see it in movies. You maybe see some evil character. But what you may not realize is that what motivates and animates all of that evil is a real entity, and his goal is to destroy you. His goal is to destroy even God the Father, which he cannot do. But because he cannot go to destroy God the Father, what he wants to do is destroy the apple of his eye, which is you. Now, those of you with kids, you know how that is. Remember when you were picking their names? We tried real hard with this. Even their names. We didn't want our kids to be teased. You do everything, right, to keep them from getting picked on and teased. You, you know how that feels. And then when you hear like something happens to your child and it rips your heart out and the anger wells up inside and you want to protect them from every possible thing. Someone said something about them or criticized them and hurt their feelings. What do you do? Imagine now God the Father. He put his image inside every one of us. You are deeply loved. Look at Psalm 139 where it says, before you were even born, God knew you. He knew you. And he wrote every day of your life ahead of time. A God like that is hurt so deeply when the enemy tempts and affects his children. Think about how it is that we can even fall into this. John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal for you. But God, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. You may not realize this, but you are in a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual war going on around you all the time. It's so easy just to live in this physical, concrete world and think that that's all there is. Maybe you've never heard this before. I'm not trying to be spooky with you. I'm just telling you the facts. There's an enemy of your soul who wants to destroy you. That's his goal. That's all he's wanted for all of eternity. And he's trying to do that because he can't affect God. He wants to destroy his children. That's what he does. So literally, everything you do in the Christian life is actually spiritual warfare. And and I know the term spiritual warfare gets thrown around a lot, and there's a lot of people who talk about it. Your entire Christian life is spiritual warfare. You may not realize that. Every attitude you choose to take, every prayer you pray, every time just those worship songs we sang, every time you choose to worship and praise instead of letting your problems get you down, that's spiritual warfare. Every time you pray to the Lord of heaven and ask him to help, that's spiritual warfare. Every time you're, you make the right choices, it's spiritual. It's everywhere. I, the first step in this is for you to be aware of the schemes. 
for you to be aware that there's an enemy of your soul. Paul puts it like this when he wrote to the church in Ephesus. He said, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your whole life is warfare against him. You know what's true about him? He's a liar. He's a liar. He lies about everything. He lies about you. He lies about you. And he lies about you to you. There may be times where you think, man, I'm not worthy. That's a lie. There's my times where he thinks, you're not good enough. That's a lie. There's times where he says, you can't make it in this Christian life. That's a lie. There's times where he says, nobody cares about you. Nobody likes you. That's a lie. You think, I don't know if I should go back to church. Maybe you're watching online and you haven't joined us in person because you're just wondering if nobody misses me. That's a lie. It's all a lie. And all those things he does, he wants to destroy not only your self-image, but the image you have about the church and God's chosen people. It's a lie. He loves to lie. Jesus said this. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies... I love how Jesus talks. He's so funny. Because he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's like that old joke. You know how somebody's lying because their lips are moving? That's the enemy of your soul. He's a liar. He's a liar. One of my good friends at Sheffield used to always say, the devil is a liar. Somebody would be talking about something going on in their life, and he'd say, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. And when you start to realize he's a liar and he has no truth in him and you start to hear and believe lies, you need to know that comes from the enemy of your soul and he's a liar. He's a liar. How does this temptation work though? How does it work? Because we're tempted to evil in so many ways. Sometimes it's through other people or associations. Sometimes it's through situations. Sometimes it's through maybe just a suggestion that the enemy gives or sometimes it's our own mind. The thing is, it's still our responsibility to resist him, to tell him he's a liar. One thing that it's easy to fall into is if you put everything on the enemy, then we kind of get this attitude that it's not our responsibility. It is. The devil made you do it. That's partly true, but you choose the actions. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he's such a wonderful Christian theologian. What was so great about him is he didn't, he didn't come up as a theologian. He came up as a storyteller. So his books, as you read them, it's, they're so easy to read and understand. He comes at things from such a different, different angle. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's not very long. I, I encourage you to read it. It will blow your mind. Yeah. Now, it's a fantasy. It's not true. But, but he writes it as if he's writing from one experienced tempter to another how to tempt this poor guy. It's, just, it's comical sometimes because as you read it, you see yourself in there. Well, I've fallen prey to these temptations. I believe these lies. He's a liar. He is a liar. Paul said it like this. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You have to watch what your mind does. You know what truth is. Hold to the truth. We're not helpless in temptation. Jesus told us, Pray for help. You need to pray for that help. 
Just, just like he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm wondering how often we actually do pray for Jesus to help us with temptation. I, I recommend you do that every day. I'm not saying you have to quote this prayer. What I'm saying is ask him for help. He wants to help you. How many of you would turn away your kid if they asked for you for help? Of course you would help them. I would drop everything. I would do anything for them. And God is no different. He loves you like that. He's on your side. Maybe you don't realize it. Maybe for you, sometimes you think the temptation is too hard. Maybe it's an addiction you just can't seem to overcome. I want to encourage you. He's there to help you. He wants to help you. And let me give you this tip. He wins. You know that, right? You know he wins. You know the enemy. Here's something we can fall into. It's called dualism, where you get this idea that the devil's here and God's here and they're fighting this out. They're not equals. That is not true. The the devil's a created being. He has no power that, that God hasn't allowed him for a time. God will and does win, which means we win. I'm going to take you to the end of the book real quick because I want you to see this. Satan, the word Satan actually means accuser. In Revelation 12, 9, it says this, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient servant called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses him before God day and night has been hurled down. Now that's the end of the book. But you don't have to give in to temptation now because he's still the victor now. And he wants you to join in that victory now. It's not like you'll never stumble. Of course you're going to stumble. But you have victory now. I don't want you to feel like you're, you're completely helpless because you are not. In 1 John 4, 4, the Apostle John writes this, but you belong to God, my dear children. You belong to God. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit in the world. His spirit is in you. And if his spirit is in you, that's greater than the enemy who's in the world. You need to remind yourself of that. One of the things... Have you heard of self-talk? You know what that is? When you're going through life and you're saying, I'm not sure I can do this. I don't know. You know what you need to start doing? Is saying this. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives and moves in you. And a lot of times we forget that, that God is on our side and he wants to make our life different. Call out to him and rely on him. Start thinking like that. John, the same author, a couple chapters earlier, he says, "My, I like how he calls us dear children. My dear children. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Is it possible? <laughs> but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Christ Jesus, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. You're victorious in Christ. You may not feel victorious today. You may say, Pastor, you have no idea. I, I sinned this morning. You should have seen my thoughts. Isn't it good we can't read each other's minds? Wow. There's a lot of praises real quick there. I'm worried now. What goes on in our minds? Thank God. But also thank God that not every sin is broadcast to the world. The fact is, when you sin, again, John, 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I need that daily. I need that daily. Is it possible to go a day without sinning? Of course it is. 
a week? Sure. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, the fact is, you don't live there. The fact is, there's going to be things that tempt us, but we don't give in to that. We're not, we're, not, we're not victims in all of this. In fact, we're more than victorious because God has overcome the enemy of our souls. So how do we do this? The first thing is like we've been talking about. Realize you're in a battle. You're in a battle. You're in a battle. The fact is, you can walk through life and think, why does this keep happening? Why do I keep stumbling? Well, maybe your eyes aren't open. You need to open your eyes to the fact that this is a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual battle. You're not a hapless victim in this. The world is not our home. It's not our home. Let me give you some other tips. Let's look at 1 Peter. Peter writes this in a letter to the churches. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Sometimes it takes humility to realize, I can't do this by myself. He didn't intend for us to do it by ourselves. Humble yourselves. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I don't know if you realize this, but sometimes our anxiety and our worry is become sin. And he's saying, cast it onto him because he cares for you. Don't do it by yourself. You're not intended to walk by yourself. Be alert and of sober mind. Be aware of what's going on. He wants us to be aware. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is constantly looking to devour. And Peter says to do this, resist him. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Resist him. I like to do this. I don't like giving him credit for anything. You know why? Because I know that irritates him even more. Because he's an arrogant jerk. He's self-absorbed. He wants the glory that only goes to God. Resist him. Don't allow him to do that. Stand firm in the faith. Know what you believe. Know that you are redeemed. Repeat these scriptures. If you need these and you're not part of the, the YouVersion Bible app and you can't find the ones I've shared with you today, let me know. I will share them with you. Repeat these scriptures to yourself. Reassure yourself of the faith and the reason that you know that you are, you are free from him. Because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings as you Sometimes it helps to have perspective and know that we're not the only ones struggling. Other believers are struggling also. And the God of grace, the God of grace, thank God for grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for able forever and ever. God is able he does that. He has the power. He's the only one with the power. I want you to, I want to take it a step further. You need to realize this, that he has no power over you. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Colossae, he said this, for he has rescued us. Did you catch the tense there? Some of our students. Are you guys going back to school Monday? You excited about that? <laughs> Not one student said Yes. Past tense, what's that mean? What's interesting about Greek is some of these words, um, any English majors here, you know the difference between aorist past and imperfect past? Aorist past is something that happened in the past and it ended there. Imperfect is something that happened in the past, but it continues on into the present. That's this. I want you to, I want to read it again. It says very carefully here, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's rescued us from that. We are not subject to that. 
And he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You are redeemed. You are redeemed. Sometimes you need to remind yourself of that. Sometimes you need to repeat that in your head and say, look, I'm redeemed. I don't have to live like this anymore. My life is different. My life is in Christ. Doesn't mean you won't be tempted. It means you don't have to get into that. And let's just keep going with Paul here. In Colossians, before this, he talks about the fact that God creates and does something in us, and we have to be sure to spend our time feeding on him. Have you noticed what you feed grows? When I feed my belly, it grows, right? Right? When you feed your ego, it grows, right? When you feed your spirit, it grows. When you feed your relationship with Christ, it grows. When you feed your, your relationship with your spouse, that grows. What you feed grows. Look at how Peter, or yeah, Paul p- puts this. He says, for this reason, since the day I heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Feed on that, the knowledge of his will. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. How do you fight temptation? You feed yourself with the Spirit. And then, then you will bear fruit with every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Be strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. We're not alone in this fight. God is fighting with you. He's fighting with you. You have to be careful what you feed your heart. Because the fact is, it's not just temptation from the enemy. A lot of our temptation comes within us. James said it this way, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after evil has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. The fact is, I don't need to look, I don't need to have temptation come looking for me. I got enough right in here. I want to do this with us for a minute. I want us to think about this for a second. Can you live above sin? Hello, can you? Some of you are not sure about that. Here's my, here's my call to you. We, we try and try and try. But what I want you to do is ask God for help because he wants to help you. He's overcome the, the evil one already. If I could have the worship team join me up here for a minute. I don't know who needed this part of the sermon today. I know I do. I don't know who else joins me in the fact that, you know, temptation is a lifelong struggle. It is. That's why when we read that, that verse in Ephesians, it says, put on the full armor of God. Put it on. We have to put on, it says, and if you're familiar with that that passage of scripture, it says, put on the full armor so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, you stand firm. Is it a struggle? Yes, it is. But you want to stand firm. And you stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You need to know what's true. And the breastplate of righteousness, doing the right things. And your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith. The enemy will attack, but we've been given a shield of faith, knowing that God is there for us. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God.
I want you to shut your eyes for a minute. Goes on to say, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, keep on praying. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. I ask you to shut your eyes for a minute because I just want this sense of privacy in a room full of people. I thought about asking you to raise your hand if you've been struggling with temptation, but I know everybody's hand would be up. What I don't know is what you're tempted with, but here's the thing. The God who loves you enough to have sent his son to die for you, he knows what that is, and he cares about you. And he wants you to have victory over whatever that temptation is. (laughs) We're all so different. Some of our temptations seem big, others small. The fact is we're so tempted also to even compare to each other, but God doesn't do that with us. He treats each of us as individuals. So here's what I want to ask you to do as a a body of Christ, but specifically this morning as an individual. Whether you're watching online or you're sitting in this room right here, what I'm wondering about is if maybe you walked in today and you felt hopeless, like, God, I can't do this on my own. Guess what? You don't have to. So here's what I do want to ask. If you feel like, God, I've just been struggling and I need your help, all I want you to do is reach out to him right now, you personally. You can just speak it quietly to him. God, I need your help. I need you this morning, whatever that is. Whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with, just tell him, you personally, you and him. That simple. The next thing I'd like to do, again, with your eyes closed, if you just give me a moment here. I never want to go a service without giving an opportunity. Maybe you've been here today, and maybe this is new to you. Maybe not. Maybe you've been to church a number of times. But you realize that today, you need to give your life to God. You can't do it by yourself. You can't find victory all by yourself. Maybe for you, this sense of sin is just overwhelming, and you need forgiveness this morning. You need to start a life with him that changes everything. If that is you, I just want you to raise your hand so we can pray with you, and we will pray with you right now. Anybody at all like that, you say, yes, I want to turn my life over to Jesus. I see that hand. I do, and I appreciate your honesty with him right now. Anybody else? Anybody else? Let's do this together as a church. Before anybody moves, I just want you to repeat this prayer with me. And for those that raise their hands, I want you to especially pray this. I'm going to ask everybody to pray. And it's not as if this prayer is necessarily a formula, but here's what it does. It acknowledges, number one, that Jesus died for our sins, that we need forgiveness, that he want, we want him to come into our life and make us new. Just simple. I want you to repeat after me, because, but I want you to mean this. And I want everybody in the room, if you would repeat after me. And as we pray this prayer, God changes lives. So let's repeat this together. Maybe you're online and watching. You're free to say the same prayer in your home, wherever you are. Let's do this together. If you just repeat after me, Father God, I'm sorry for my sin. I need your forgiveness. I'm grateful Jesus paid the price. I want you to come in and make me new. I give my life to you this morning. In 
Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand with me for a moment? We want to give time for people to pray. If you've come in here today and maybe you have a struggle with something, it can be about what the sermon was about, but it could be for anything at all. We want to pray with you. Those that raise your hand, I'd love to talk to you up here and just talk to you about that choice you made and any way we can help you this morning. If you need healing, physical, emotional, if you need prayer, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe that's new to you and you want to you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you want more of God. If you just want somebody to stand with you and against temptation, we'll just take a moment as the worship team leads us. And I'd love for you to come down right now for prayer if you need prayer for anything. If you're going to help us pray, come on down so we can pray. But please join us at the front if you need prayer for anything at all. we're so grateful that you love us enough to you you came to us God we're so grateful for that we're we know that we're not worthy we know that God we fail I just pray father for everyone in the in this room today that as we leave here that we'll have that assurance that you forgive that you constantly forgive that you're never done with us God I pray that you would help us to fight that temptation whatever that is in our lives God we ask you to help us to be a light to a world who so desperately needs you I pray, Father, that you would use us in mighty ways. And God, we give you praise for all that in Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless you. You're welcome to stay and pray. We will be here for you.